Last week, we focused in on verse 10. Those of you who were here will remember. Let me summarize that message in four things that we saw. Number one, we saw in verse 10 that serving the saints or encouraging each other, supporting each other, strengthening each other, encouraging each other, being there for each other, serving the saints flows from loving the name of God. You see that right there in the verse, love which you showed toward his name in serving the saints. So service to the saints is a way of expressing love to the name of God. That's the first thing we saw. Second, we saw that God will never forget love shown to his name in the service of the saints. He will never forget it. God will not overlook the love you showed toward his name in serving the saints. The smallest thing you do, I said, even if nobody on earth knows about it, for somebody else in the name of God will never be forgotten by God and will come back on you for blessing. Third, we saw that God's commitment to remember you because of your love to his name is rooted in his justice. You see that? God is not unjust so as to forget the love you showed to his name. And finally, we saw that the reason the justice of God is the foundation of his not forgetting you when you love his name is because the meaning of justice in relation to God is his unswerving allegiance to uphold the worth and the glory and the honor of his name. That's what justice means. God's justice consists in his unswerving allegiance to uphold the worth and the honor and the glory of his name. Therefore, whenever we love his name and do anything in his name, he would be unjust to forget it. And he won't, because he's not unjust. Now, those are the four things that we saw last week. What's the upshot of those four things. What do we conclude? At least this. If we want to serve people, and if we want to be remembered by God, those two things, then we should devote our energies to loving the name of God. Because right in the middle of the verse, loving the name of God proves to be the source from which service flows and the means by which God claims in his justice to remember us forever and ever. We must fight the fight at the level of loving God. Now, it would have been a big mistake to walk out of last week's message or to walk away from verse 10 and say, oh, no, oh. I got it. I see. I got it. If I want to be remembered by God with blessing, then I have to really start working hard to serve the saints. Now, what's wrong there? What's wrong? 
The thing that's not wrong with that is that it's not wrong to want blessing. This text is based on the desire for blessing from God to be remembered and to inherit the promises. That's not the problem with what I just said. The problem with what I just said is something's missing. We got three components in verse 10. You got wanting to be remembered by God, you got serving the saints, and you got this massive component that just vanished out of that sentence, namely loving God. If you don't love God, His name, if you aren't getting your joy and your satisfaction and your contentment and your fulfillment from God and delighting in Him, then you can say, oh, I've got to work hard now to serve the saints because I sure want to be remembered by God and you will die in the desert. Trying to move ahead without putting the love of God at the beginning is like standing on, on the front of a desert and wondering if and hoping that there's a paradise on the other side and setting out across with no water bottles. No canteens, no guide, and no assurance that there's any oases out there at all. That's what it's like to say, I'm going to serve the saints. I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to work hard because I want to be remembered by God and get to paradise and have lots of rewards when I get there. If that's Christianity, you don't have it. That's not Christianity. Working in order to hopefully be remembered. Christianity starts in the middle of that verse. A great, worthy God of grace and an enjoyment of Him called love to His name. And out of that love flows service in one direction and the assurance of being remembered in the other direction. Without that, you know what happens? You've all experienced this in part. Service becomes servility. And the pursuit of that great blessing and reward becomes a kind of carnal, a mercenary thing. Just wanting to escape pain and get pleasure, God or no God. And that's just not Christianity. If you pursue serving the saints in the church or serving the community and trying to get remembered by God and it doesn't root itself in a delight in what God is for you by grace through Jesus Christ then you may have a rigorous religion, but you will not have evangelical, biblical, God-centered Christianity. Another way to say this would be that the way to come away from last Sunday's message and the way to respond to verse 10 is with verses 11 and 12. So that's why we're going to do that today. Let's read it. Verses 11 and 12. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness in realizing the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now there are several goals in verse 12. Three, at least. Number one. I want to inherit the promises. Number two, I want to imitate the lives of, of people who've walked by faith and had long suffering and patience. And number three, I don't want to be sluggish and dull and lazy in my Christian life. Now, so there are some goals for us, biblical goals that 
my guess is most of us in this room want. We want to inherit our inheritance. We want to imitate the best people who live by faith and patience. And we don't want to be lackadaisical about life and about faith. But notice, what in these two verses, 11 and 12, is the direct focus of our energies and our efforts? Is it not being sluggish? Is it imitation? Is it inheriting the promises? Where is the focus of the effort and the earnestness? And you see it there in verse 11. The focus of the earnestness and the pursuit is not on those three things, but on realizing the full assurance of hope. Now this is just like verse 10. The structure here and their interrelationships are all important. Verse 11 and verse 12 are connected in a certain way. And here, I've, I've got to put in a parenthesis about the New International Version of the Bible. Because uh, I'm going to build this whole message on a word that's missing from your translation. And uh, it's the most popular, most wide-selling uh Bible in America today, the New International Version. And if you wonder why we don't use it, why I don't preach from it, this is the reason. It is so much of a paraphrase in order to make things smooth that it drops words right and left that I regard as absolutely essential and have to have in order to make my points in preaching. I can't use the NIV in preaching because of the way I preach. If you preach in generalities and you draw your point sort of from the drift and mood of a text, then you can preach with it relative ease. But if you go right to words and conjunctions and verbs and nouns and try to trace the argument of a text, it won't work. So what you got is two sentences. You, the sentence is broken into two sentences and the conjunction is vanishes out of the NIV. And I'm going to build everything on the words... So that, they're not there. So now whether that causes you all to throw away your NIVs and go out and get the NASB or the RSV, I don't know. Probably shouldn't. It reads well. It's true. But I must have something close to the original to preach from. So that's the reason we use RSV or the NASB from time to time. It's closer, more literal, even if it doesn't read as smoothly. Now look. Just have to take my word for it if you've got the NIV or look on with somebody who's got a King James Version or an NASB or an or RSV or virtually any version except the NIV and the New English Bible have this conjunction in there. And it's all important theologically. I mean, my life hangs on this conjunction. I don't know how to overstate the importance of this conjunction between verses 11 and 12. Let's read it again. We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness in realizing the full assurance of hope to the end so that these three great goals might be attained and no other way. Namely, not being sluggish, imitating those who walk by faith and patience, and inheriting the promises. How do you get those things? Verse 11 says the means to the end. Get full assurance of hope so that you can have those things. Now, if you don't get that logical relationship between getting first things first and second things second, you know what you become? Legalists. 
died in the desert on the way to the paradise on the other side because you never took the water bottle of hope. It's the only way to be sustained in the desert of life is to have the full assurance of hope from verse 11 so that you don't become sluggish, so that you don't drop in the desert, so that you can imitate the saints, so that you can inherit the promises. If you drop the so that, you don't have Christianity. You just got moralism. Work. Everything hangs on hope. Everything hangs on hope. The main thing in last Sunday's message and this message is that there is an earnestness in the Christian life. There is a zeal. There is a struggle. There is a fight. And it's so easy to fight at the wrong point. It's so easy to jump over verse 11 and start fighting in verse 12. I gotta not be sluggish. I gotta imitate the saints. I somehow gotta inherit the promises. And you just miss the place where the battle is supposed to be fought. Namely, at the level of, come on, get hopeful in me. God says, come on, I want you to get hope from me before you do anything else. Come to me and get hope and get rest and get peace and get joy and get love. Because if you don't start with me and hope and love, you're going to drop in the desert. And all your good works, all your churchiness, all your efforts to serve me, boom, you'll go down. I want you to see another link between verses 10 and 11, because I want to try to show you that the structure of last week's thought of the Christian life and the structure of the Christian life here is the same. The word that links verse 11 and 10 is the word same. I think this is in all the versions. You can see it. We desire you to show the same earnestness. When I read that, I said, same as what? And the way to answer that question is to go back up to verse 10 and notice that the word show, says show the same earnestness, the word show is also in verse 10. So what earnestness is being shown? What, what's the connection of those two words show? They're exactly the same word in the original. And there in verse 10, it's God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you showed in his name. Now grab this. Here's the structure. In verse 10, showing love to God, God's name, yields service to the saints. In verse 11 and 12, finding full assurance of hope in God yields the imitation of people who've walked by faith and patience and who are not sluggish and inherit the promises. Now there's the structure of Christianity. That's Christianity. You start with loving the name. And what does that mean? Loving the name of God means being satisfied with all that God is for you now in his whole being, his whole character. All his grace, all his beauty, all his power, all his love, all his justice, all his goodness, all his truth, all the interminglings of his perfection. You find satisfaction in knowing him and being loved by him. That's love. And then in verse 11, it says, have full assurance of hope in him. Now, what's that? Is that different? Is that radically different from loving him? I think finding full assurance of hope in God 
and loving God are virtually the same with two different perspectives. One is a present perspective, what he is for you now, and one is a future perspective of what he will be for you tomorrow and in a thousand years. So really, the two texts are saying the bottom line issue in the Christian life, the place where you need to have earnestness, where you need to really fight and where you need to have your guard up is not at the level of work, 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 serve, 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 but the level of love God, hope in God. There's the fight. There's the frontline battle of the Christian life. So they, they come together like this. Loving God in verse 10, which yields service to the saints, is being satisfied with what he is for us now. And hoping fully in God, verse 11, which yields imitation of these great saints, is being satisfied with all that God will be for us in the future according to his precious and very great promises. And therefore, if you ask me, is there a battle to be fought in the Christian life? Is there a struggle? Is there an earnestness? Is there a passion? Is there a zeal? Is there a warfare? I would say, yes, there is, but oh, brothers and sisters, let's not fight at the wrong place. The battle is a battle to be satisfied in God. That is the number one battle of the Christian life. If you don't fight the Christian life there, you will fight it in vain. God is calling us this morning in verse 10 to be satisfied in Him, and He calls it love. In verse 11, He's calling us to be satisfied in Him, and He calls it hope, the full assurance of hope, because He wants us to know who He is now for us. He wants us to know who He will be for us, and together He wants us to be caught up into an experience of God that is so satisfying that out of our bellies will flow rivers of living water called love for other people. And if you try to fight at that level, i got to produce love, i got to produce service, i got to get remembered, i got to inherit the saints, i got to imitate so-and-so, and you don't fight this other battle, you drop in the desert. Or you keep going in the desert and don't get to paradise because it wasn't Christianity. And it was a false religion. Let's just pause now and think about this. This message gripped me yesterday as I was putting it together more than any I've been gripped by in a long time. I, you know why I think that is? And I'll just confess and I, I'll call you to, to confession with me. I think that for some time I have just been imperceptively drifting away from that spring. You know, it is possible in the work of the ministry called uh, water carrying. Ministers are water carriers for other people. It is possible in the very act of water carrying to begin to settle for puddles and pools and not go back to the spring. And to, and to begin to very subtly draw your sense of satisfaction and contentment in life from the things you're doing, good things. And slowly and imperceptibly you wake up and you realize 
this sermon is for me. This, this drinking that I'm calling these people to, this needing to go back up the hill and get out on your knees and put your face in the spring of God and love Him, just love Him, just love Him, just hope in Him, for Him. No children, no wife, no job, no house, no money, nothing, just God, Him, does He satisfy? I needed that real bad. So what I'm inviting you to, and it's God, I believe, who's inviting you, is not to come to God this morning to, to get well from your sickness. Though he may be willing to do that. I hope you all know I believe in that. That's not what I'm inviting you to, though. Not to come to God to get well. Not to come to God to get a job. Not to come to God to get a spouse. Not to come to God to get your marriage fixed. Not to come to God to get your bills paid. I'm inviting you to do something that is so simple and so obvious and yet so imperceptibly lost in the Christian life quickly. Namely, just come to God to get God. To enjoy God. To love God. To hope in God. And I don't know how long that will take or how it will come to you. But I want you to come. I invite you to come to God, to Him, to be satisfied with Him, to delight in Him. Now, I was thinking that if I were in your shoes, the question I would have right now at the end of the message is, well, I'm ready. (laughs) What do I do? How how do you show the full assurance, I mean, uh, show the same earnestness to obtain the full assurance of salvation, of hope? And I don't have any more time to tell you the answer to that question, but here's what I believe God is leading us as a congregation to do through the Lenten season leading up to Easter. The next two Sundays are family week. Next Sunday, Greg Heinch from Hudson, Wisconsin, and one of our great former apprentices is going to preach on the church's family. The Sunday after that, I'm going to preach on children and children's ministries. And then we begin what I hope will be a uh, six or seven week long series leading up to Easter in which we focus on the objective grounds of the assurance of hope, especially in the cross. And so if you're leaving this morning with the question, yeah, but where do I go to find this full assurance of hope? What do I do? What do I focus on? In between times, read Hebrews and you'll find the answer. But if you want to wait, in three weeks, I'll take up this question and we'll just work on it together for about six weeks. How do you fight this fight at the front end of the Christian life so that you don't get the fight in the wrong place, but you go to God to find love and hope in Him? Standing in each of the corners of this room when I close in just a minute, will be a prayer team, four of them, one in each corner. And I told them before we came up here, I'm going to end this message the way I just have, and I think there are going to be people who are so hungry to have their love for God restored and their hope in God made full that they're going to want to pray about that with you. Some of you have just drifted so far from the spring, and I think God would come down and touch you if you went to one of our prayer teams and just said, we just pray that Pastor's sermon would come true in my life. So take the time to do that. Let's pray.
Lord, it would be a strange thing if there weren't a hungry person in this room. That is, if every person weren't hungry. Now, I pray that that hunger would grow. A hunger not so much to get to work. That will come. We're not to be sluggish. But to get assured in hope and to get in love with you. And so I ask that as we close, you would reveal yourself as a God worthy of love and full of love, worthy of hope and full of promises. Would you just anoint this people afresh to love you for you and to hope in you for who you will be in the future. I ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.